Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome once again to ESSR Central here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm your host, as always, it seems these days, Ross McLeod. And my hosting has been so successful and so good. With so many franchises, they wanted to develop a spin-off. However, for every Cheers, there's a Meet the Tortellis. For every Friends, there's a Joey. For every Ross McLeod... There is unfortunately a Scott McLeod who is my guest on Central this week. Hello, Scott. How are you? Hey, cool. Uh, the more successful to your spin-off, I am wounded by that, well, listen, by that intro. Well, listen, shut up a minute just so I can do this. Um, so if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, we are at Suplex Retweet. And if you want to hear more of me and less of Scott, if you want to hear some reviews, previews, interviews, and all the news, then that's Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. If you can't find us on it, it's not worth being on. And we'll jump right in, as we always do, Scott, to the past week in television. So we're going to start with SmackDown, Friday Night SmackDown, and we'll we'll mix up a wee bit here this week. We're going to do Raw and SmackDown. Then we'll do NXT in a wee preview of TakeOver. And then we'll talk about Friday night's AEW because it leads into our second takeover preview of the week, which will be Impact's... What, what Impact pay-per-view is it this weekend? It's uh, Against All Odds. Against All Odds. Well then, the AEW news can lead us into the Impact preview and then we'll have all the news from throughout the wrestling week. You know, we've got Mickey James and... Uh, uh, NWA, she's going to be producing an all-female pay-per-view. We've got rumours of Alistair Black coming back. We've got rumours of the draft. So, so much to talk about this week. So, we'll start with last week's SmackDown and the continuation of the story, which I find most interesting on WWE as a whole, is the Roman Reigns Uso sort of uneasy love triangle sort of thing, if you will. Poor Poor Jimmy Uso, sorry, poor Jay Uso, stuck between Jimmy Uso and Roman Reigns. Um, the Usos called their shot. They challenged the Mysterios to a tag team title match. It opened the show. Roman Reigns said, no pressure, lads, but if you lose, you're out of the family, sort of Homer Simpson style. Um, and, uh, a good match to open SmackDown. A, a really good match back and forward. Ends with the Mysterios beating the Usos uh, due to a blown referee call. Uh, Dominic gets the roll up. Uso gets, uh, sorry, J- Jimmy Uso gets his shoulder up before the three count, but the referee still counts three. One, two, three. Um, before we go into the whole referee mistake thing, what did you make of the match itself and the build up to the match? Oh, I enjoyed uh, the match itself because, well, these days I find it hard. That's like an Usos match because you know everybody's seen their progression like since 2016 onwards when they turned heel for the first time and gradually went face again. They were always good, but they've been on a new level the last few years, and it's just it's just been too long since we've had the Usos. I think it uh, was around a year or so. Like it was very early in the pandemic year, Jim uh, got injured, but so it was good to see them back. 
uh, the match was really good. I'm happy to see the tag division SmackDown's like worth watching again. It's not just going to be months of the Dirty Dogs versus the Mysterios. We've got we've had the Street Brothers videos, so now this is going after the tag titles. Uh, I thought it was very interesting to end the the match the way that they did, and then you have Roman kind of coming out beating up pure pure Dominic Mysterio. And, that, and I read something shortly before we started recording about WWE has some uh, big plans uh, for the Usos and Roman, uh, with talks of it being that the Usos, both Usos, will be aligned with Roman uh, by SummerSlam, so that we'll have a full-on heel like, trio with the, both Usos and Roman. How exactly they're going to do that? Go from like Jimmy wearing a T-shirt that says "Nobody's Bitch" to technically being Roman's bitch because. As, much, as good as JS has been, that's technically what he is now. Uh, but, you know, the way they've been telling the story, especially of Roman Reigns over the last year or so, I have every confidence that I'll be keeping an eye on it because I would have no qualms of like at the end of SummerSlam if Roman's still the champion, seeing the use of the SmackDown tie chance, just have them rule all of SmackDown. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have a problem with the stable. Um, I think that would be a really good stable. Obviously, you mentioned how are they going to get it being from like, oh, I'm nobody's bitch to I'm nobody's to like, I'm, you know, Roman's sort of left-hand guy if Jay's the right-hand guy. Um, but I think they, they did a good enough job with like Jay snapping and like losing the plot and being like, no, no, you're right. We need to run this. Like we've seen Jay before, like get a bit above his station and Roman's had to put him back in his place. Um, I, I wouldn't be against like, Jimmy doing that. Roman has to say, I'm like, Okay, I know you won the Battle Royal. That was SmackDown. I know they put WrestleMania on it, but it's still SmackDown. S- sit back down. I may have entered WrestleMania this year, pal. <laughs> um, what I'm going to talk to you about, though, was, that, and I know it was part of the storyline, and I know, you know, later on in the mat, uh, later on in the night, we got a rematch uh, for the tag titles, but I seen a tweet a few weeks ago about screw finishes in WWE. Uh, and we've spoke before about AEW, about being a bit like someone gets brought in the challenge for the world title or the TNT title or to go up against Cody and then they lose. And then it's sort of right. We've got to find something else for this guy now. And it feels a bit like they're in, they lost, we move on. Um, but it was a tweet I seen a few weeks ago and I, I can't remember who sent it, but they said about with AEW, I feel even if it's too soon, I get closure from feuds. Like, it's very clear when a feud ends, like, you know, like Archer and Moxley or Brian Cage and Moxley or Archer and uh, Cody Rhodes. You know, it was very clear when those feuds ended. Whereas with WWE, I feel like I get screwy finishes constantly to keep feuds going. And it, it just makes... It makes the officials look stupid as well. I've just I've taken a few notes in recent uh, times where the referee blew the call. You had Braun. Uh, he, he lost a match where his shoulders were up at like one mm. during his Shane McMahon feud. I believe it was at the end of 2020. Apollo for the IC title at uh, Fastlane against Big E got his shoulder up. The referee still counted three. Uh, Bianca uh, used like her hair illegally to get the pin. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, WrestleMania backlash referee still made the count I just feel that WWE are doing these things where they make the referees look incompetent 
and I don't think that's ever a good look, especially if you're trying to, you know, be a sports-based uh, industry. And I think as well that too often it's like let's just have a screwy finish, and instead of thinking of something else to keep a feud going, like that's that's three in the past four months. Mm-hmm. There, uh, four or five months, other than this incident that have been on WWE TV and have been for you know number one contenderships or titles. So it's it's becoming a trend in WWE, and I think as a like that was the first thing I thought about when I seen it. I thought about that tweet. Because at the time I was like, nah, nah, not really. I don't, I don't see that. But it's it's becoming more clear. There's more of a pattern developing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so to talk about the AEW uh, part of that, sorry, I didn't like, I, I, I agree for that to an extent. But sometimes when a guy just comes in and shortly after his debut does lose clean to somebody like in a high profile, then it does leave a question what, uh, where they go next is we have. If they come in and they have a plan for the guy afterwards, then fair enough. Then, like, at least you know where you're going. But when a guy, if he then ends up on dark for a week, which Archer did for a little while after losing a Dakota, between that and one in the casino barrel, he was on dark quite regularly. It just seemed like a waste of somebody like Archer. And you know, he's been in more high profile matches, especially recently, uh, when he challenged Miro. Uh, like in, in Cody's feud with like, in the factory or whatever they're called now with Cutie Marshall and Theogogo. I don't know where, that, where that's going. I mean, Cody's got an announcement apparently on Dynamite this week, but I don't know if that'll be in relation to that or is he going to start a new feud because that feud went from Cody v. QT Marshall to Q- Cody beating QT Marshall and then the least experienced of QT Stable getting the pay-per-view match against Cody, which Cody won while uh, as father of the year Homelander. And then they have a tag match on the next Dynamite when the feud should be over at the pay-per-view. But... With WWE, I see what you mean about the, the pattern developing. Like, if it, I mean, some people might argue, oh, but they did screw finishes all the time in the Attitude Era, and it was a successful feat. You know, those sometimes it had a purpose. Uh, I think we shouldn't really use that too much as an example because after a while you kind of become numb to it back then. Uh, in modern WWE, if it's enhancing the story and it'll progress it to like, you have this match on TV when the screw finish, which will. Which may eventually lead to the Usos both being beside Roman. Like it's going to be Roman versus Mysti- versus Rey Mysterio at LMSL. So maybe there, that's when Jimmy finally comes around, and we and we see the development of that feud. But as you said, you've got three or four examples in the last few months. So like if that, that becomes a point where it becomes it goes from a good way to progress the story to being the main way you progress stories. At that point, that shows a lack of creativity if you're constantly going back to the same storytelling method and not the best one at that yeah I agree it's not the it's not the best look because uh, it does make your officials look stupid um, and then when heels are claiming that you know like if it's a Sami Zayn thing and it's you know he's claiming conspiracy when there's not a conspiracy against him well you're showing stuff like that and you're like all of a sudden you're making your heel the most logical person because he's seeing everything um, yeah. And there's also like the times inconsistencies in that sometimes a referee will see a replay like somebody's foot's on the rope or another referee will come down and tell the referee like that something happened that the, the referee didn't spot and they'll restart the match. But sometimes they, they're very selective of when they do that. Like if they want a heel to win a match but then reverse the decision so the face wins so the heel still has something to complain about. Like it's, it's what becomes one of those double standard things like, oh, well, the referee's decision's final. 
really? What about that one time when the referee decision wasn't final? You restarted the match. So it's one of those things in WWE where they have their rules, but they decide when those rules apply. Yeah, that's a weird one. Um, Roman Reigns berates the Usos, tells them to get it fixed, tells them to find Sonya, find Adam, find whoever, but get it fixed tonight. We see the Mysterios getting ready to leave. They, would you call it, they have no problem with it. They go, right, okay, we'll do the rematch. Uh, Back and forth match again for the main event. And then Roman comes in and absolutely battles Rey Mysterio and Dominic. He's shouting and berating the Usos, saying, again, you are going to fail me again. You are going to fail me again. Really intense segment, because it's visually uncomfortable. Someone the size of Roman picking up, like, the 19-year-old Dominic and, like, throwing him about like a ragdoll while his dad watches. And you can see Jimmy Uso being like, that's enough, that, 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 that's enough, because that's enough. And you see him uncomfortable with his cousin's actions and it furthers a storyline. And there's rumours now, I, I want to get your thoughts on this, Universal title match, Roman Reigns versus Rey Mysterio at Hell in a Cell. Would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, uh, I thought I heard that. I didn't know realize there was still room. I thought it was officially announced, but either way, uh, I think it's an interesting match. I think there were some people who were a bit disappointed that they were going to do like what they did last year with Rome. This time it's Jimmy, it's all in Jay's place. I think there's still time for that. If that's the way they want to go with the story. Uh, I'm open to seeing this match because I know Ray and Roman would have faced off in like tie matches. Back when Roman Shield did, but I don't think this is a match that's ever happened singles wise. Uh, of course, a single match we've seen between the Easter is when I think they were the final two of a Survivor Series match back in 2013. So it's a very rare, not really seen, like first time ever in WWE, and they and they know how much WWE loves a first time ever. They can, and they can promote the, the shit out of the fact it's a first time ever. But I do agree with the uncomfortableness of like watching Dominic get beat up because I know he's in his early 20s, but he still has that very boyish looking face and you still think of him as that little boy uh, in the centre of that feud with Ray and Eddie back in 2005. And you see Roman coming out and just beating the shit out of him. Like, like, like he's saying like, I'm going to give you a walk in your day. Sugar. Like, Roman, leave him alone. He's just a boy. <laughs> Proper throwbacks to the JBL era. <laughs> All I was missing was him getting out, getting his belt out. Like this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird one, and I um, like I, I've talked about before um, about how like things like Money in the Bank and Elimination Chamber when when there's a, a multi-person match that's not for a title, I don't mind a lower-card guy or a mid-card guy being in the title match to, like, sort of let these big guys go after the big prize, like the main event of WrestleMania in the Chamber or the Money in the Bank uh, briefcase. I wouldn't be against if, you know, we get Ray and Roman at Hell in a Cell and then maybe Roman Dominic at Money in the Bank. I wouldn't be against that. I'd I'd quite happily watch that because I think... Like, even though we know Dominic wouldn't win, the way Jey Uso made us all believe at some moments where it's like, oh my, is he going to do this? Because Roman Reigns, you know, something that's very underrated about his overall overall presentation is how good a seller he is. 
And there was moments there where you thought, oh my God, James was going to do it. And like when Roman kicks out, you kind of find yourself going, of course he was never going to win. But like in that moment, that split second, you find yourself going, oh God, oh God, he's going to do it. I would yeah. love a Dominic versus Roman Reigns match at Money in the Bank. Yeah, like you remember when Dominic got involved in Ray v. Brock, like at Survivor Series, and there's that moment where you actually thought, Ray was going to win the title and I don't think anybody would have had an issue with that even if he only held it for like a couple of weeks uh, I've had a double check there, I don't think it's been confirmed so but I think it is the most likely possibility that Ray v Roman is going to happen at Hell in a Cell the one thing I, I do uh, I don't really want is that oops, that again. one thing I don't want though is for this to be in Hell in a Cell because so far like, we're like a week away from Hell in a Cell and they've confirmed one match is inside the cell and that's Drew v. Bobby. And I think that makes the most sense given that they've had a, a few matches and they're all so like having this gimmick match towards the end of their feud, hopefully their blow off. That makes sense. It's what the cell should be used for. None of the women's matches that have been announced are inside the cell. Uh, and I'm hoping that Roman versus Ray doesn't get added to having a cell match because I don't think it really needs it. And we can finally go back to how it should be at Hell in a Cell and that just because it's called Hell in a Cell doesn't mean you need more than one keep it just one Hell in a Cell match, have that go on last, and keep the, the stipulation like, feeling special. And like at Money in the Bank, uh, I think you could get away with not even having a Universal title match at Money in the Bank, because like, the, the, Money in the Bank sells itself in the fact that it's got the, the briefcase matches and the fact it's going to have fans there, so the fans are going to be up for it probably no matter what. I, think, I wouldn't even mind if you had some sort of tag match or handicap match like Roman in the Usos for you, the Mysterious, or if the Mysterious can find a partner like Cesaro, if Cesaro's not in the money of the bank to team with them and like say whoever if Ray and Dominic win like one of them gets a universal title match but if the Usos and Roman win the Usos get a tag title match something like that kind of you can experiment with those kind of things because you know they're doing, doing something very similar with that six man they're going to do it in your house that we're going to talk about later on yeah yeah absolutely um, we move from the tag title and the universal title scene to the IC title scene Um Kevin Owens has a match against Apollo Crews. Uh, General Aziz is banned from ringside, but it doesn't mean that he is banned from backstage where he absolutely battles Kevin Owens before the match, battles him against the walls, battles him against a couple of production crates, and then just leaves him lying there as Apollo Crews maniacally laughs, gives him a thumbs up and walks to the ring. Um, I I really like the Apollo Crews character at the minute. I like how he's got General Aziz, you know, fighting his battles. I like how he outsmarted like the the stipulation. Right, well, if I can't get you at ringside, I'll get you backstage. And I like how this I, I say it every week this division where there's multiple storylines going on in and around this division continues to be stronger and stronger. It's WWE's strongest division, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made because it's maybe for the other workers and we've had a lot of guys who've made their name on the independent scene that are known for their work rate. You know, you've got, well, Biggie wasn't thinking an independent guy, but he's still got, he can still go. We got like Apollo, Sammy, you had Shinsuke in there for a while. Uh, I think Cesaro challenged for that one point. You know, so you've got these guys from the independent scene all working for this workhorse title. What's interesting about the, the Intercontinental right now is I think it's been used to get people to watch SmackDown now, even though I don't think a lot of people are watching it for that, but they keep announcing big IC title matches like this or the rematch that Apollo had with Big E or that four away from a couple of weeks ago. 
I think for SmackDown, when you think the four we could have easily been on Mania Backlash, or this match with Owens, where Aziz is barred and like maybe Owens' last shot could have been at Hell in a Cell. But you know, it's one of those things where pay per views in the Thunderdome era have been a lot shorter, so you're getting to see matches like this on uh, TV. And if it happens more regularly, then I'd be happy for it because you know I'd like to see more US title defenses, but over on Raw, but. Where Sheamus seems to be doing this whole non-title thing when people face him and by people I mean either Humberto or Ricochet because they clearly can't be bothered to have him fight a third person but yeah I'm, I'm, let's see this continue, I don't know where Owens really goes after all these losses because you know I, I think with WWE, like, we talked about the EW thing where well, we, we definitely events the stories and WWE is guilty of having feuds go on for too long I mean, look at Bobby and Drew, they've been feuding since before Mania Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler, their biggest criticisms are that their feuds go on for too long. I think you need to give Apollo a new challenger, but at the minute, his two biggest, two biggest like mid-card baby faces from a face are Biggie and, and Owens, and you've overdone that already. Because Cesaro went into the, the IC title scene with, uh, with Apollo, even though it wouldn't really technically be a demotion, after he said the feud was set at Mania, and well, you got that universal title match with Roman. I think a lot of people would see that as a demotion and kind of like, well, Cesaro got his one title match in the main event, but now he's back down to the mid card. Yeah, it's it is a weird one when you think about it like that. Um, you, you talked about the the WrestleMania feud with um, Seth Rollins and Cesaro there, and it looks like you know we'll talk about Seth Rollins in a wee moment, but it looks like we're going back to another. WrestleMania feud, and that's Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens. Um, Sami Zayn comes out after the match and hits Owens with a Louva kick, saying, I didn't hit you, karma did. I didn't hit you, karma did. That's karma, that's what you did to me. You kicked me when I was down. And Sami Zayn is still conspiracy theory bubble, you know what I mean? He's still, everyone's against him, everyone hates him, everyone wants him to fail. And he's going after Kevin Owens again. And listen, I've got no complaints. I think one of the things we didn't like about WrestleMania was how short this match was. So mm-hmm. if they're going to keep it going and give us more Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens matches, I'm all for it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, seeing this again. They've put, on, like, they've put on a good match at WrestleMania. Like, I know they kept going to Logan Paul, but basically it was a nine-minute match of their best hits. Like their best like moves, like... Once in that kind of variation of a fisherman suplex off the top, you had the Michinoku driver and everything. They did a repeat of the spot, uh, their finishing spot from Battleground, but the rules reverse with Owens kind of getting the better of the exchange. Uh, I don't know if uh, I think this is a feud that'll continue on, and like both of them will maybe be in Money in the Bank, but like neither will win it, but they'll cost each other the Money in the Bank. Uh, but I don't see this going much further than past summers. I think it's just something for both guys to do because Sammy seems to take a lot of losses, but can come back strong with this whole conspiracy thing. And Owens has already taken a couple of losses to Apollo, so maybe this is a way for Owens to get another one over Sammy to get his momentum back. But again, I think it does go back to feuds kind of being repeated. Uh, and like, I don't know where Apollo goes from here, because honestly, I look at the SmackDown roster, I'm struggling to think of uh, Shinsuke, I'd like to see you challenge Apollo, but again, I thought he's going to feud with Baron Corbin, that's going to be him for at least three months. God, don't, don't. But hopefully, would you call it? Hopefully, 
that feud is done soon. I like Rick Boogs' guitar. I like Nakamura with a crown. I don't like that it's with Baron Corbin. <laughs> uh, but we'll not touch on that. We'll touch on Seth Rollins quickly uh, and just how effective it was. It was built up as this big interview and Seth Rollins sits down with Kayla Braxton. They have the conversation about why did you attack Cesaro? And he smiles and just goes, I don't owe you an explanation. Then she asks again, and he just takes off his microphone and throws it right in her face. And she just goes, well, thank you for your time. And they move <laughs> swiftly on. I, I love this Seth Rollins. I think Seth Rollins, since he turned heel in 2019, has been sensational. He has not missed a beat since he's came back. And I honestly just find him hilarious. <laughs> I, I do like that because, you know, one of my least favorite things when somebody turns heel and they ask them why they, they go to when they want to delay it for a couple weeks or they can't think of a reason properly, they go, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you an explanation. But here they used it effectively where they hyped up the fact that he was doing an interview explaining why he attacks his oral. And he just was like, nah, I'm not going to tell you. And fuck us off. Because he's like, oh, I don't need to tell you anything, I'm Seth Rollins. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping this, this few weeks are doesn't actually go on that much longer because I remember, I don't think I've been on Central since uh, since before Backlash and I, I did not get what that was all about. Like, the end of the period, fair enough, Cesaro lost. The fact that they just had Seth just beat the shit out of him and you think, oh, someone's going someone's to help Cesaro or something's going to happen or Cesaro's going to get his comeback. Like, oh, no, Cesaro's on the floor and the you know, the watermarks coming up. Because that made zero. That was just a very depressing end to that pay-per-view. And I think Cesaro, along with Biggie, is a big candidate to win Money in the Bank. And I think if he does win Money in the Bank, I wouldn't mind him maybe seeing him defend the Money in the Bank briefcase against Seth, like at SummerSlam. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that either. A good continuation of the, of the feud and just... Another victory against Seth just sort of solidifies Cesaro as a main event talent. Um, but we'll move on to SmackDown. From SmackDown to Raw, um, Drew's last chance, Scott, last chance Hell in a Cell match for the WWE Championship. Does that basically say that Drew's winning or do you think they'll swerve us and think, do you think Bobby Lashley's feud's going to continue? So Bobby Lashley's WWE title reign is going to continue? Well, uh, in the past couple of weeks, there were rumours that uh, Lashley's match at SummerSlam would be him defending the title, and the rumour is it's going to be against Brock, because Lashley said one of the things that got him to re-sign in 2018 was the promise of a match with Brock, and they still haven't also given him that. Uh, but then that would also mean that Drew has suffering a loss and potentially going to that feud with Jinder. It's been rumored, but mind you, gender's not on gender. I don't even think it's been on Raw in a couple of weeks, so I don't. That's a hundred percent guaranteed that she's going to happen. But yeah, they tend to they do tend to do that like a lot as I like they help hype up when the the face eventually wins. It was your last chance while this person's the champion. And it's inside like hell where Drew like previously has lost the title, in. but honestly, I couldn't give a fuck about this. <laughs> Honestly, I want I kind of want Lashley to continue on his feud, but I'd feel bad for Drew if he lost. But if Drew wins here, then what the fuck was? It? Then why is he winning here on the last Thunderdome pay per view when you're just a few weeks away from getting fans back 
when you could have had Kofi fight Lashley here, then do this stipulation where it's Drew's last chance at Mind the Bank and get that win in front of fans. You know, the kind of thing you had the opportunity to do in at WrestleMania and then you didn't. So, you know, if you're going to go like the whole hog with Lashley, just let him have a longer title reign. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that match with Brock. Uh, you know what? Just put Drew in the US title scene, have him fight Sheamus again, let them bat each other because I've I enjoyed seeing that at Fastlane. Oh, I mean, I remember being sad when I woke up on the on Tuesday and seeing that Drew had won. On, when I woke up on Tuesday last week and seeing that Drew had won, even though Woods and Kofi came out dressed as different variations of Tommy from the Power Rangers, I said, clearly, Vincent Man looked at him like, what? Everybody knows Jason with a better Power Ranger. That's it. Drew's going over tonight. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just... I said it to you before, and I think a handful of people will get this, but like, those remember when the British Bulldog came back in 1999, he kept complaining that he wanted a WF title shot. So every, like, three or four times a show when Bulldog was up, he'd be asking, I want my title shot. Where's my title shot? You call that a title shot? I want another title shot. That's what Drew's becoming quickly. Like, I want my one-on-one rematch for the title. You got that at WrestleMania, and you fucked it up. Like... I, I don't get, like, they just turned Drew into a complaining baby face, really. Like, he keeps asking for this title shot, and, you know, for a few weeks, they actually get very interested in Lashley v. Kofi, like, because Kofi hasn't had the fair opportunity to get his title back when he lost it to Brock. And then they just kind of helped Brock Kofi up a couple of levels for a few weeks before just shutting him right back down. Yeah. Uh, it is a weird one. Like there is, look, we can talk about this just now. These two news stories. Um, so WWE is hoping to make SummerSlam into this year's sort of WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be at the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. It's an NFL stadium. It will be full capacity in this NFL stadium. I believe it's just looking. Oh, the t- tickets haven't went on sale yet. They go on sale June 18th. However, it will be full capacity. I don't know how big the stadium itself is. I'll need to look that up. Uh, and there is a rumour Brock Lesnar is going to be Bobby Lashley's opponent. However, according to Dave Meltzer on the most recent issue of uh, PWI Insider's Saturday Main Event, uh, Saturday Night Main Event podcast, sorry, uh, as of now, Lashley-Lesnar is not currently in the works so obviously I don't know if that's because they don't want to do that or if it's because Lesnar technically hasn't re-signed yet his deal ran out last August however I think if you're going to if you're this close to Lashley Lesnar you know people might go oh that's a match that doesn't need the WWE title well no it doesn't but imagine Lashley Lesnar and the WWE title on top of that. That's just, it's a mouth-watering matchup. And I think, you know, we've, we've talked about the likes of Asuka could do for some time away from the women's title scene. I don't see anything wrong with Drew being away from the WWE title scene, as long as he's in feuds that aren't gender mahal. You know what I mean? Like, I think as long as he's away and, you know, he's not this complaining baby face and he's, you know, he's kept hot in the background, he can always come back because, you know, there's always a chance for a Brock, you know, a Brock against um, Drew rematch if Brock wins the title. If Lashley keeps the title, I don't have any problem with Drew going, you know what, no, I know I can beat you. 
and they fight a couple of months down the line because I think the matches have been good. It's just the fact that it's just been Lashley Drew, Lashley Drew, Lashley Drew again, Lashley Drew again. Lashley Drew with Braun Strowman before he gets set. Exactly, exactly. So I think they might have telegraphed it, though. I think they might. They, they might just go with Drew for the title and maybe Brock v Lashley as the as the non-title feud at SummerSlam. Yeah, because like the I don't I said I would feel bad bad for Drew if he lost because it would one make you wonder what is he going to do at uh, SummerSlam because he could always be in Money in the Bank, but like he said it's his last shot. That doesn't mean the feud ends because yeah, if Drew Lashley wins, then they don't have another match. But then Lashley then has a case for a rematch if he loses, which means that even if Drew gets the title back, that probably won't be the end of the feud. Which is why I don't really want to see him win the title. Here and why I don't really care about it. I just had a little quick Google there. I think somewhere between sixty-one and sixty-five thousand as the SummerSlam venue can hold. And so I know people will be excited because you know it'll be kind of like they want to make it as big as WrestleMania because even though WrestleMania crowd it wasn't full capacity. And so like there's rumours also Ed and Cena will be a big part of the event because they might be coming back soon. Like the rumour is even that Cena will fight Roman for the Universal title. And yeah. So like, you can have some key matches. I wouldn't mind, like you said, if you can find a marquee opponent for Drew, it, he doesn't need to be in the title picture. And like if Edge is just not, if they're not like set on Edge being a part of SmackDown, if he's just part time, move Edge over to Raw. Have Edge versus Drew at SummerSlam. Because you can go yeah. back to like go back to like in twenty eleven. I think they had a few matches on SmackDown when Drew was you know when Drew was back in his chosen one days. He barely had a beard. Uh, just a little, little baby face, Drew. But have they to you know, fight and talk about uh, the issues that they both overcame and everything? I don't know how you'd pick it. That's why I've not paid thousands of dollars to write for WWE. Yeah. It's, just, it's just like a marquee match for Drew because I think he does deserve that like in front of a full capacity crowd at SummerSlam, given everything he's done over the past year and a half. Yeah, his push has sort of been killed by COVID. You know what I mean? It is, it is a shame for him. Um, it's it's sort of the world we live in now. Um, Viking Raiders, the new number one contenders for the tag titles. Oh. Uh, Styles going up against AJ Styles and Omos. I heard that arc. Are you <laughs> are you upset about this? Is it the Viking Raiders being the contenders that annoys you, or is it the fact you know AJ and Omos are going to battle them? It's just that it doesn't really matter, does it? Because like, you looked at that like, tag team battle all graphic they put up the other week. You know, you had Viking Raiders and RK Pro, who were probably the two most likely. Because other than that, you had the New Day, you had the Lucha House Party, or what remains of them. And then you had Mason T-Bar, who for some reason are still called Mason T-Bar. And I forgot existed. You know, I kind of got bored of the Viking Raiders last year. I've got a friend who who nicknamed them the Viking Annoyance and that's why I started referring to them as because I can just see this being the main feud for AJ and almost and then occasionally switching in the New Day before it's SummerSlam I think inevitably it's going to be RK Bro that win the tag titles but like I've heard sorry that AJ Styles didn't even want to be in the tag title scene so I don't uh, really anticipate these matches all that much because I remember after WrestleMania thinking that AJ and Omos' chance was going to be great and the main thing you had on this Patrick's Raw is just almost doing a giant turkey leg from the Viking Raiders. Yeah, that was that was sort of the whole feud with the 
the street profits. Like every so often, Ivar would find a massive turkey leg, <laughs> and that would be it. Mm-hmm. And like everyone fancied Eric but hated Ivar. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the feud. No, I, think um, I, I think it was Ivar who everyone fancied, but also Eric was disappointed. And I'm just looking like, you're a married man. No, you're married to a wrestler who's on the show. Who's, uh, who's carrying your child, like, straight in your face. <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? Uh, the SmackDown tag scene looking a bit healthier at the minute. You know, you've got, you know, the Dirty Dogs who are starting to hit a bit of a stride, I think. Um, Ray and Dominic, you've got the Usos, you've got Street Profits going up against Alpha Academy. And yet here you've got Good teams, I, you know, Dominic Dijakovic is a great wrestler, but he's stuck in this horrible, horrible gimmick uh, with Mace. Um, you've got, you know, RK Bro that could be good, but, you know, while AJ Styles and Omos are holding that title, they're, they're not going to lose it for a while, I don't think, unless Vince just completely changes his mind on Omos. Um, so, yeah, it is a bit of a shame, you know, they're brought back, they're undefeated, they're going to lose, and then... Who knows what happens to the Viking Raiders after that because they don't recover from losses well. Like WWE don't know how to book them after a loss. Yeah. I issue with the Viking Raiders, like somebody pointed out to me before they signed with WWE, it's only towards the end of their NXT run that I noticed it, that they do have a style of match they like to wrestle and it's very rare that they vary from that, that style. So especially since the KNA and Ross their matches do feel very samey. And I know they're trying to give like new like challenges for AJ and almost to help prolong their reign, but it would help them better if they didn't, you know, break up half the tag teams they had on Raw. The same goes for their women's tag division as well, because they were promoting this past week as Tag Team Week, and just and I just that just made me laugh. Like, do you even know what a a tag team is? Like a tag team to you is two people who you think these two shouldn't be together. We should have we should go from having nothing for them together to having nothing for them individually before probably releasing them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> As you said, breaking up half the tag division for no reason. Remember Heavy Machinery's breakup and the classic matches that followed that, such as... And anyway, we move on to uh, <laughs> the last segment of Raw. Um, so I I hadn't seen it until about two hours before we, we went on to record this. Um, I had seen tweets. Um, I'd seen... I can't remember who this Twitter person was, but they said they'd watched WWE for 20 years and this was the worst segment they'd ever seen. Um, Kenny McIntosh of Inside the Ropes had said, you know, if you liked it, great, but it really, really wasn't for me. I thought it was horrendous. Uh, Ross Twiddell of Cultaholic, he put up a kind of, like a really, a nice sort of, um, a nice sort of unbiased one, you know, he, he gave his opinion, but at the same time, he put up, you know, I have to remember that wrestling's a variety show, and, you know, it's out there, if someone liked that shit show that was Shayna and Alexa Bliss, then more power to you. So, I hadn't seen it, i seen the start of it, the first half of the segment, where Shayna just, she doesn't wait to be introduced, she comes down, she sits in the swing, she takes the doll off a uh, uh, Alexa Bliss, she stamps on it I thought, this this doesn't look it's a bit bland, but it's not too offensive um, then the lights start going out and she starts 
like running and she's running from a doll. You know, this is Shayna Baszler, the the two time NXT Women's Champion, and the you know the the woman that was undefeated for almost a year, woman that's been in War Games, two time tag team champion, former MMA fighter, running through the hallway of the Thunderdome to get away from a doll that's controlling the lights. Um, and then she starts seeing it in the mirror and starts screaming. So she starts like smashing the mirror. She turns around, the doll's not there, but the doll's still in the mirror. And that's when I thought, yeah, actually, everyone was right to condemn this segment. I thought it was just absolute, absolute garbage. Um, and I think a lot of criticism as well is the fact that this was the this was the main event segment. You're two weeks out from a pay-per-view that has three matches advertised. And this was the closing segment of the pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, this was the closing segment of Raw. Uh, and uh, Scott, I, I don't know what else to say, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I saw so many like articles or like videos of people who are covering like the weekly TV with the caption, you know, worst Raw segment ever, worst Raw ending ever. And I try I didn't take much notice of that until I watched the segment because, you know, you know, with WWE, how the quality can vary up and down and everything. And you can see that headline posted by people like 20 or so times a year at least. So, like, I thought, oh, well, it's just, you know, typical whenever there's a really shit Raw segment. And then I watched it, and I'm thinking maybe the reason that it was the, the closing segment was maybe that, you know, the ratings for Raw have been very low the last couple of weeks. And they thought, we can't put this in the middle of the show because if we if we, if we put this in the middle of the show, nobody's going to keep watching. So it's better off to close out when people are going to switch off anyway. And, like, it just confused me why Shane is in this week. Because, like, at first I thought, okay, this is going to be good. Because when she dropped the doll and she was stamping on the lights were flicking, it was annoying. Alexa, like, Alexa's going to snap. It's going to be less about the doll and more about Alexa being all unpredictable, more fiend uh, Bray Wyatt like and real less fun house but then she started running around the pyro's going off and it's scaring her even though the pyro's clearly nowhere near her and then she doesn't choose to leave the arena she chooses to barricade herself in a locker room and then yeah the, the mirror thing which a lot of people compared to like when Hogan saw Ultimate Warrior in the mirror back in WCW and like she smashed <laughs> it but she, but she can see it but it's not actually there you know I think let's talk about you know Vince's real lack of knowledge about pop culture I think he just finally watched that film Annabelle uh, and thinks it's like the new big thing, like horror, and uh, he's trying to impl- implement that into wrestling. The thing that really confused me about the storyline, like, because Alexa kind of cost a Shayna a match with Reginald because of the pyro going off. I really think they've got this the wrong way around when Shayna and I are, break it, break, are finally stopped as a tag team. It shouldn't be Shayna in this tag, in this feud, it should be Naya. And Shayna should have just beat Reginald and gone off and to hopefully be in a title scene. Because, you know, it'd be a lot better than fucking Nikki Cross suddenly coming out and asking for title shots when she's done nothing to deserve them. And because, like, the Fiend's whole thing was going after people that had wronged Bray. And that seemed like they want to make Alexa the new Fiend. But surely out of Naya and Shayna, it should be Naya that she's going after because Naya and Alexa's mind has wronged her because they had that feud back in 2018 when Alexa was bullying Naya. But yeah, they've went to the thing with Shayna when they have no prior connection to each other. I mean, I wouldn't be happy about a Nia Alexa feud because it would probably take up a lot of TV time and probably wouldn't have been that like entertaining to watch because I remember their matches. 
2018. But it would have made a lot more sense and means that Shane probably would have been doing something a lot more suited to her. Yeah, I, I maybe that is a lot of the criticism, the fact that Shayna is just so much better than this and apparently Vince just doesn't get Shayna. Um, I don't know if that's true or if that's, you know, just a headline to, you know, grab people. But looking at stuff like this, it just shows that, yeah, um, it, it, I, I, oh, God. Do I just move on to something more yes. fun? Yes, please. <laughs> something that isn't just... I'd be happy just to move away from Raw in general because, honestly, the last three stories we talked about have just really lowered my mood. I was happy to talk about where Roman and the Usos were going and then you had to make me talk about this. Well, Well, here's something good. The million dollar titles back. We're going to go into, <laughs> we're going to go into an NXT takeover in your house 2021 preview here. The million dollar title is back, Scott. <laughs> um, I'm just going to give the listeners a wee history lesson on the million dollar title. It was created by Ted DiBiase on the 15th of February 1989 on Superstars of Wrestling. He held the title for 922 days before losing it to the Hall of Famer and leader of the NWO, Virgil, at SummerSlam 1991. Uh, that ended a 922-day reign for Ted DiBiase. Virgil would hold the title for 77 days before Ted DiBiase won it back at Survivor Series Showdown in Utica, New York. Um, Survivor Series Showdown was a special for the network. Um, he held it for 88 days before abandoning the title when him and Erwin R. Scheister won the tag titles in February of 1992. Fast forward to 1995 and the ringmaster Stone Cold Steve Austin held the title for 152 days before abandoning the title when DBS departed the WWF on May 28th, 1996. We wouldn't see the title officially on WWE TV until 2010 when Ted DiBiase Jr. was awarded the title uh, by his father Ted DiBiase Jr sorry more about him later by the way there's a story about him coming up um, he held the title for 224 days before giving the title back to the million dollar man on Raw November 15 2010 and said I want to earn my own title he then lost a match to Daniel Bryan for the US title <laughs> never had another title match again um, so it's been very Ted DiBiase centric, as it should be. Uh, I've really enjoyed the Cameron Grimes Ted DiBiase segments, uh, Millionaire versus Millionaire, the Millionaire Showdown. I like that LA Knights came in because he sort of came in hot to NXT and then died down a bit. He says he's not a millionaire yet, but he's living comfortably. He's living large, and with Ted DiBiase's help, he can get to that next level. So Ted DiBiase has put the million dollar title on the line at TakeOver and it's going to be Cameron Grimes v LA Knight in a ladder match. Scott, if I told you at the start of the year that the million dollar title and Ted DiBiase were going to be a prominent fixture on WWE's most forward-thinking show, NXT, would you believe me? I mean, it's happening on a show also titled In Your House when the last In Your House show was in 1999. Well, before they brought it back last year, but still like, So yeah, it wouldn't be entirely out of the realms of possibility before I talk about what I think of this match, continuing on with the history of the, the million dollar title, 
Would you like to know how the Honky Top Man played a role in the creation of the million dollar title? On you go. Tell me then. Well, now the, the big show, the main event in nineteen eighty eight, the show where Andre won the title and then awarded it and then so sold it to Teddy Biassi and it's not recognised. Well, on that show, uh, on that same show, Honky Talk Man was meant to drop the Intercontinental title to Randy Savage, which meant he wouldn't have had the record-breaking reign that he ended up having. But Honky Talk Man was a prick and refused to drop the Intercontinental title to Savage. And so they always planned on doing the, the tournament at WrestleMania 4, but they wanted DBS to win it. So DBS would have officially been the champion. But they realised, well... If, D- if Hungry Top Man's holding on to the IC title, we can't have both our top single titles being held by heels. So they rebooked the tournament to have Savage win, and basically the creation of the million dollar title was basically, here Ted, I know we didn't, you didn't get to win the top title, but here's a consolation prize, you're going to create your own. There you go, the million dollar title, the greatest consolation prize in wrestling history. Well, there you go. Um, well, uh, both these guys were in running for a North American title feud at one point and didn't get it, so... I mean, once again, playing the consolation prize is the million-dollar title. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I don't know who I want to win. I mean, Cameron Grimes winning is a nice sort of rounding off of the story, but I just love LA Knight. I think I think he's just so good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit firmly on the fence for this one. Scott, who do you have winning? You're sitting firmly on the white picket fence outside the house in which this pay-per-view is taking place. I'm looking forward to it. You know, the, the million dollar title is quite prominent in the in your house poster. Like, you got everybody outside the house and you got the white picket fence and hanging over the fence is a million dollar title. Uh, I think LA Knight is going to win this because, you know, like, the main issue with Austin being paired with DBS is that it didn't really suit like, Austin's style and his personality didn't suit being, like, managed by DBS, but I think LA Knight's does. And, you know, you got that story. It doesn't need to be a long term thing, but I think. Those two is heel manager, heel with his manager. I think would be really good to be kind of a throwback because back in the day everybody had a bloody manager, and you know maybe we're getting to hear you know getting to hear Diaz's team when he comes it would be better than whatever generic crap they keep giving people nowadays that they don't have CFOs doing the music anymore. And I'd, I'd feel bad for Karen Green, but you know there's no nothing that says he can't win the land or title down the line if they decide it's going to be a title that can be defended. But honestly, I think uh, I would do a lot for LA Knight because you know it would help elevate him as a heel and and get sympathy for Cameron Grimes and now as a babyface. And actually, I think this could be the sleeper hat of the night, and this is going to be the match that everybody's probably talking about when in your house is done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a six-man tag match, winner takes all match. Bronson Reed, the North American champion, teaming with MSK, Nash Carter, and Wesley, the tag team champions, to take on all three members of Legado del Fantasma, Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, and Raul Mendoza. I think this match is going to open the show, and I think this match is going to be 100 miles an hour. You talked about uh, the million-dollar title being the sleeper hit. I think this could be a, a, really, a really cool way to protect a big guy like Bronson Reed, while at the same time, like Bronson Reed and MSK, while at the same time giving Legado del Fantasmo all three titles. I think Legado del Fantasmo should win this one, Scott. I think, I know Bronson Reed's just won the title, I know MSK won the title at the day, uh, was the last takeover called? 
Yeah, stand and deliver. Stand and deliver. But I, I think this is the sort of match where you can allow a screwy finish and a new champion. And I just think Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza have had too many nearly moments as the henchmen of Santos Escobar. And Santos is coming off a couple of losses that I think they need this. I I think this will be match of the night and I'm hoping Legado del Fantasma comes out with the win. Certainly I have to disagree with you. I think Santos will win the North American title from Bronson Reed, but I don't think it will be here. I think they're going to have Santos, even though they agreed to the stipulation, he'll use this as an excuse later on, where like you have, like say, Bronson pins either Mendoza or Wild, and Santos uses that like, yeah, but you didn't pin me, so you still haven't proven that you're the better man. And then Santos can win the title. I do like that, you know, he carried the cruiserweight title. He was known as the interim champion for quite a while. He got it defended on takeover finally, and like he had that great ladder match at the last takeover. And I'm glad that like after losing it to Kushida, that and so he's not just being like kept in the cruiser division. Or back in the day, it was like considered like a bad thing to be in the cruiser division because there was no really there wasn't a lot of like ways for you to progress up the card, but clearly they see a lot of big things and they see big things in Santos if they've moved him right back into the North American they've moved him right into the North American title scene right so soon after he's lost the, the cruiserweight title. So he probably will win it but not here. Uh MSK and Legalda Fandazel might continue their feed at this, but I think if anyone's gonna take the tie tails it's gonna be the grizzled young veterans. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Raquel Gonzalez v Ember Moon for the NXT Women's Title. I'm not liking Raquel, Raquel Gonzalez as the Women's Champion. I think she was jumping between heel and face. I think with the feud with Mercedes Martinez, she's now back to like full on heel going up against Ember Moon, and I just. I, I I'm getting. Remember when Nia Jax eventually won the title? Mm-hmm. I'm getting Nia Jax, Women's Champions vibe from Raquel Gonzalez. I think her and Ember Moon will have a great match. It's just it's not a it's not a match that I'll look at and it like jumps off the page at me like, yes, here we go. Yeah. I think I missed that episode or two of NXT. So when I came back in and seen that this was the match that had been announced for TakeOver, it kind of took me by surprise. Like I thought Mercedes would be in the mix at TakeOver or maybe they'd even... You know, rush and rush uh, Frankie Monet right into the title picture, but that doesn't seem to be the case. I think uh, I think Shotzi Blackheart has confirmed that she is dealing with an injury, so they want to keep her and Amber in a prominent uh, position while uh, also making Raquel look strong. I think the main reason for this being a match is that you know Raquel and Dakota quickly lost the NXT Women's title to these two. So in Raquel's mind, she's kind of like writing a wrong by getting a win over a former NXT Women's Champion. But I think yes, one of the no, issues... was not mentioned that, though. That's the thing. It was um, it was actually a completely separate tag match. Um, Shotzi and Ember against Dakota and Raquel Gonzalez on the May 25th episode of NXT. Gonzalez just battered Blackheart, you know, maybe to write her off TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moon was forced to watch... You know, Kai was holding her back, and then Moon called out Gonzalez the next week, and they both had a little scrap in the ring. Mm-hmm. And then later that night, Moon just sort of challenged Gonzalez, and she accepted. So it's it's not even it like 
it's not even anything to do with the fact that they lost the titles. And this might actually explain why they lost, you know, why um, Shotzi and Ember actually ended up losing the tag titles. Uh, but it just, it feels very, very rushed. And it feels like they're not drawing on past feuds with these two. Yeah, I think I do think keeping Raquel heel is a good idea, though, because everybody seems to think the inevitable story is Harvey Dakota. And I think Dakota, as good as she's been since she turned way back at War Games in 2019, I think she is better suited to being the heel, given the size difference between the two. And I think they can make that work. I think with the, type, with the title matches on this show, they got a really good job with the million dollar title and that six man that we just talked about and making you think that both those matches can go either way. Whereas on the other side, that this match and the five way have been made very predictable and who that the champions are going to retain because I think both of them, they have big plans for both champions and making them the, the final bosses of their respective divisions. So especially given it's the first takeover after both of them have won their titles, it makes it slightly more predictable. If this was the SummerSlam takeover, you could see a bit more wiggle room for a title change. Yeah, we'll touch on the five-way in a wee sec. Uh, just our second last match to touch on, Mercedes Martinez v. Zia Lee. Um, two brawlers, two people that have got, like a sort of, Zia Lee has a, a martial arts background, Mercedes Martinez, I believe she has a kickboxing background. Um, listen, if this is just two ladies knocking lumps at each other, I'm all for it, but uh, I've... I, I, I don't see what the storyline going in here is. I think it's just been that they've they've been scrapping and now they're going to scrap at takeover. Yeah, they've been doing this thing with Zylie Boa and this uh, mystery woman that's controlling them. They, they like leave this black mark on people uh, that they're targeting. I think they did that to Mercedes and now they're having a match. You know, I mean, I think while it may seem a while ago, it may have seemed like unreasonable. Well, a while ago it may have seemed like unrealistic for Zaylee to win. She's really been given a proper push for the first time in a while. I think this is her first proper like, takeover match she's had, and she's been in NXT for quite a while. Uh, I think this is a serious like push for her. She'd probably might be put into the women's tag title scene very soon, maybe. And with a story that we're going to talk about later on, I think this might be used, you know, with. You know, Boa's help on the outside. This maybe writes Mercedes Martinez out of NXT to maybe go to something on the main roster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Karrion Cross uh, defending his NXT title against Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano and Pete Dunne. NXT doesn't really do these multi-man matches. I don't think NXT's ever done a proper big like fatal five way before have they they've done like fatal four ways and that but I think this is the first time they've done a fatal five way for the title and to my knowledge other than NXT takeover fatal four way I don't think they've have they ever had a multi-man match for the title on takeover I don't think like since fatal four they've done like a match with this many people for the title I think the most people they've had to match is like we've had like five people back at Takeover 30 for the North American title. They had six people who determined the first North American champion. But for the main title, I don't think you've had more than four people. And even then, that's a rarity. Yeah, they do like to do like singles matches for the title. So there's maybe the most people involved in a Takeover main event outside of like the War Games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you said. Um you said you thought this one was a bit 
like much like the women's title match, you found this one a bit predictable. Yeah, because like I know the idea of like the champion doesn't have to be pinned to can really protect Cross, but they clearly had big plans for him as champion when he went out initially before the injury, and so like, he's already beaten Finn Balor, and he's got this is probably going to be a big win for him. I did see them. I don't think they'll do, but it would be funny if they did. Uh, with Tom from Cultaholic saying that he wanted them to do twice as bit, do like he wanted Cross to try and outdo Roman Reigns and stack all four guys and pin them. Kind of like how Roman said to, to Edge and Brian, just stacking up, be like the wrestling equivalent of when Scooby and Shaggy used to make those giant sandwiches in Scooby Doo. <laughs> but of the fact, I think I said, like I said with Raquel, they want Cross to be the final boss of NXT. Although this does have me wondering, even though I think he's going to win this match, like being O'Reilly and Dunn uh, have been in the title scene you know, quite prominently. I mean, this is Gargano's first time in the main title scene since I think that four way after Cross initially got injured and, you know, Adam Cole hasn't really been in the title picture since his, since that four, since he lost to Finn, I think it was Finn that beat Cole to win the title for the second time. Yeah, it so, was. Yeah, so like, a couple of guys have been in the title scene fairly recently, two guys that have been outside of but kind of don't need the title to be prominent in NXT as we've seen with their recent feuds. Although it does make me wonder that even though they have plans for Cross to be like the final boss in NXT, I wonder if that means like shortly after SummerSlam Cross Make it called up, and maybe the the thing that they're thinking here is like, well, we have we could have cross possibly in feuds with all these guys, but we don't plan. It doesn't look like we're going to have them for very long. So let's get all these out of the way in one match and beat them all, <laughs> just to make them look even even more dominant than he already is. Because you yeah. know, Vince is going to take one look at him like, my God, look at the size of him. <laughs> I think. Um... Well, you, you mentioned, I, I do I do agree, this is much like the women's title match, very predictable on the outcome. I The reason I'm not as down on this is because it's oh, no, not... I'm not down on it, I'm just saying... No, that, no, like, no, no, I'm just saying my, I, I'm down on the women's title <laughs> match, but I'm not down on this match because it's a multi-man match. Um, had Raquel and Ember maybe added Dakota Kai, because I know Shotzi's injured, I might be like... Oh, there's that uneasiness where you know the team of Dakota and Raquel can Ember capitalise. Will Dakota screw her over, or will it just be Raquel? But because it's a straight up one on one match, I think I'm just like, yeah, Raquel's winning. Um, whereas here, there is that moment of doubt, you know, because yeah, Karrion's going to win, but it, there's five people in there. A lot of things can happen, and. No, we haven't seen Finn Balor since Karrion Cross beat him uh, a few weeks ago on NXT. You know, what's next for him? Could he maybe decide, you know what, if I can't take the title off you, I'll just screw you over. You know, so you never, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I think also what kind of telegraphs this is a dominant win for Cross, you know, being four of the top guys in NXT right now. Is the last couple of weeks you've had the opponents basically say that they don't believe Cross is as tough as he looks. That it's all like the smoke and the mirrors with the entrance and everything. And so maybe Cross will get taken out midway through the match. Everybody will do their thing, and then Cross has the moment where he kind of like gets that you know level up, get that extra like mushroom, like in Super Mario Bros. pops back up, say all suplexes for everybody, throws them all about before eventually pinning somebody. The main thing that interests me is who takes the pin in this from Cross because. Uh, while they're trying to kind of weirdly meet him look slightly baby-faced-ish like, by everybody saying he's not as tough as he looks. Uh, there, there's five guys in this match, only one of them is a face, and that's Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah, I think it's Gargano. Gargano's the 
the take the pin guy. Mm. Gargano's on a, like a run of three straight takeover wins. That's the weird thing. He's um, he, he won at Stand and Deliver. I believe he won at uh, War Games as well. And then Vengeance Day beat Kishida. Vengeance Day beat Kishida, yeah. So um, it'll be sad to see that run come to an end. As someone who watched Johnny Gargano lose countless takeover main events and takeover matches, it's, uh, it's sad to see that sort of run come to an end. I mean, it restores the natural order of things, you know, the three certainties and only death taxes, and Johnny Gargano loses that takeover. You know, yeah. the, the way it was meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two seconds, I'm just having a check. Did he win at War Games? Yeah, that was the War Games, not where he won the belt back. He, yes, he, yes, he beat uh, Leon Ruff. Yeah, because he, he, he lost a, a challenge piece for it on Taylor 31, but then won it on the special with Italian Havoc, lost it to Ruff on TV, and then won it back in that triple threat War Games. Yeah, so he won at War Games. Uh, Vengeance Day and Stand in the Lower. Johnny Takeover actually getting some wins. Good on <laughs> Um We'll move from uh, NXT to AEW and Andrade El Idolo, um, mm-hmm. which stands for Andrade the Idol, um, <laughs> debuted with AEW uh, this past week on Dynamite. Uh, Andrade's feuding with Kenny Omega, who's also the AAA Mega Champion. Over in AAA, he's going to... Is it Triple Mania he's facing? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically about WrestleMania. Yeah, and when is that? I think it's sometime in August, I think, because it was maybe August, September, they didn't confirm a date, but now I think it is in August. So I think they they gave him the graphic saying Andrade is all elite, so even though he will probably be quite prominent in Mexico, I think he actually will take the AAA title. This isn't just like a cross-promotional thing. It's He is pretty much a roster member now, full-time for the AEW. Yeah, I'm looking at... Um, there's an article um, Wrestling put up, put up. They put a correction article out on uh, Andrade's um, contract. Actually. As I reported over the weekend, Andrade first met with AEW president Tony Khan in Florida the week he was released from WWE in late March. Khan was interested in signing Andrade, given that he did not have a 90-day no-complete a compete contract however a deal wasn't made a, apparently negotiations stalled due to Andrade's demands a, he wanted creative control and veto power on losing Andrade also wanted to work for other companies outside WWE however the final deal has no creative control a, no one in AW has creative control fucking hell lies tell that Cody apparently Tony Khan has total create, control over creative and that was the correction they put out there. But Andrade being... We've talked about how does... Um, how does Andrade lose... Like how, do, how does Kenny Omega lose the title if, you know, if AEW are the top dogs there and they have final say on Kenny Omega, who he loses to? I think if Andrade is wrestling for both AAA and AEW, mm-hmm. it now puts a bit of doubt on the title match. Mm. Is Kenny Omega losing because Andrade is also an all elite? So it's not as if he's losing to a nobody. He's yeah. losing to a fellow AEW superstar. And that's not to say Triple A superstars are nobodies. I'm just saying like that was that that was an issue where like 
what if the company that controls Kenny Omega's contract, AEW, doesn't like the fact that you're going to put him up against insert person A from AEW, mm-hmm. from AAA or from Impact. So it's it's good to see Andrade back on TV. I think criminally underused uh, in WWE. One of the success stories, I think, of Paul Heyman's time when he had creative control on Raw and he was writing it, you know, he was a US champion and all that, but he was soon bogged down in that sort of uh, Andrade, Angel and Austin uh, the triple A feud, <laughs> sorry, the triple A <laughs> stable, where they just get battled after Drew McIntyre every week. And then once he lost the the title to Apollo Crews, he didn't do much after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people were kind of surprised when they seen the demands and everything. I think it was smart to can, if that is true, like to veto the idea of somebody having career control or saying like, I can veto, I can say like, I don't want to lose this person. Because, you know, a lot of people were worried about AEW becoming the next WCW and we see all the stories of WCW, people having creative control, having too much control over when they would win and when they would lose <coughs> Hulk Hogan. Uh, that is what ultimately one of the things that helped kill that company. So I don't think they want to do that. But I think uh, one of the reasons Andrade might be looking to control when he loses, like to play Dale Darkett, maybe, maybe because he knows he is planned to win the AAA Mega Championship, which... I double check there, uh, 14th of August is when Triple Mania has been confirmed for, uh, because you remember when Pat was Dragon Gate's champion, and like he's either winning at shows or losing by screwy finishes or being in triple threats where he didn't take the pin, like maybe when we saw him at BCW, and he was in a triple threat but didn't take the fall, so maybe it's a thing with Triple A not wanting their champion to lose to just anybody on like an episode of Dark Elevation when he's maybe their top like guy but it does but it does make sense if they're both all you know them feud and feeding over that company's title. Kind of like when the Bucks and Lucha Bros at the first few AEW pay-per-views were kind of trading the AAA tag titles back and forth. And so it really helps elevate the AAA at the same time. So I'm looking forward to see what it does. It's interesting they paired him with... Uh, I've seen some complaints about his debut where he just wandered out interrupting what was meant to be a Mark Henry interview segment with and Vicky Guerrero as his manager. But, you know, Vicky Guerrero does speak Spanish, you know, and the, the comparisons that people have made to Andrade to Eddie Guerrero and like he also being Eddie's widow and everything. So I'm I'm not against, you know, their pairing. I'd like to see where, where it goes. If you know Andrade got a decent promo, he only said a few words in English and his English has improved, but if you can have Vicky speak for him if he's still developing his English then that doesn't bother me because you know that's what was good about his partnership with Selena Vega. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um and obviously Vicky Guerrero herself has been criminally underused since you got mm-hmm. to um, AEW, so it is nice to it is nice to have her back in the fray. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, he, obviously we mentioned Kenny Omega. Uh, we'll talk about his match for the Impact World Championship in just a wee moment and our Impact uh, Against All Odds preview. But next week, Kenny Omega versus Jungle Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who's a sort of semi-regular viewer I sort of I, I watch what I need to for this for like this show um, I watched um, All Out uh, uh, sorry Double or Nothing a few weeks ago and um, was surprised how over Jungle Boy is and I don't think for a minute he's winning but that that's going to be a great match I think just a, a hot crowd for Jungle Boy and a champion at his peak in Kenny Omega 
and Don Callis just healing it up on the outside. Uh, so I, I look forward to Jungle Boy Kenny Omega next week. Uh, Kenny's second title match of the week. Will we dive right into Against All Odds? Yeah, sure. I just want to say uh, I was surprised. Well, I think you could hear when there were just limited fans, you could hear some people sing along to Jungle Boy's theme song, like how loud it was when he came out. At, at Double or Nothing was surprised to me. But I think him winning this title shot was a smart idea because they've given him brief glimpses of like him being pushed. Like he's had TNT title shots, he had that match with Jericho and things like that. And so, you know, it's, he may not, he's not going to win the title here, but it's but cementing him as a future world champion and uh, also helped turn one that what seemed like one of the more predictable matches of Double or Nothing with everyone thinking Christian was going to win into a match that everybody was surprised by the outcome, but they were also happy for Jungle Boy to get this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I was even tearing up when he, he got the win. I was like, yes, he did it. Like, I, I knew who Jungle Boy was. I liked Jungle Boy, but I had no massive investment in him heading into Double or Nothing. As soon as he won, I was like, yes! <laughs> um, so, Double or... Eh, sorry, not Double or Nothing. Too many pay-per-views, too many promotions. Against all odds for Impact Wrestling this coming Saturday, June 12th. Um Again, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I had the card in front of me if you wanted me to do it, but if you want to do it, so no, I've got the card in front of me here. I'll just I'll go from uh, bottom to top. So, Fire and Flavor, Kira Hogan, and Tasha Steele will take on Kimberly and Susan uh, for the Impact Knockout Tag Team Championships. Peter Williams, Trey Miguel, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, and Rohit Raju in a five way match to determine the number one contender for the X Division title. Rich Swan v William Morrissey in a singles match. Uh, Violent by Design, Dina and Rhino will defend the Impact Tag Team Championships against Decay, Black Taurus and Crazy Steve. <laughs> uh, Donna Perrazzo defends her women's title against Rosemary. She'll also back Taurus and Crazy Steve uh, <laughs> at ringside. Uh, Joe Doring is going to take on Scott. I'm going to need your help pronouncing that name. Satoshi Kojima. Well done. Uh, Joe Doring will be in singles action uh, and the main event Kenny Omega the Impact Wrestling World Champion taking on Moose and there's rumours that this could be a triple threat match Scott Yeah totally I was going to and just what you were talking about the group chat there's a thing advertised there's a segment advertised for this go home episode of Impact on Thursday which will be uh, addressing the actions of Sammy Callahan, who's had some runs with Moose, the Good Brothers, and Kenny in the last couple of weeks. And yeah, between Tony Khan, Don Callis, and Scott Damore. I think Damore wants to make it a triple threat, Don Callis kicking up about it. And maybe they're involving Tony Khan because also it's, he's also, because Kenny's an AEW champion, and Tony Khan's been playing a, a heel character on TV. So I wouldn't mind being Sammy Callahan, I think. I think Moose is going to retain either way because I think Kenny's going to retain either way because uh, Slammiversary is confirmed to have fans. I think they're going to have him lose there, hopefully to Moose. I'll be to one of these two. But I think using they're going to use a triple threat stipulation, kind of like they did at Double or Nothing for Kenny to sneak out with the title and then lose it in front of fans so that you know the fans can have that pop for somebody taking the impact belt off of Kenny. And it'll be interesting because like uh, AW confirmed all out for September. So if Kenny loses in July, the Impact title, Triple A title, possibly in August, the Andrade, it'll create more intrigue for whoever he faces at all out in September. 
like, oh, Kenny's now only got one tail, the belt collector's only got one belt left, can he hold on to it? Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree with you there. Um, certainly makes for a more interesting story, and I think Sammy Callahan, he is sort of, he, he is the draw. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see him in there. Uh, him, Moose, and, uh, him, Moose, and Kenny Omega would be a great triple threat match. So I'm not really a, an Impact Wrestling uh, regular viewer. I do watch the pay-per-views and I will watch this. However, if you if you can only review or preview sorry, one other match on this card, Scott, what match stands out to you above the rest? Uh, I should mention also one addition that could have been made this, on this week's Impact before I choose my match, that this Kimberly V. Rosemary match could be made a triple threat with Havoc being involved. If Havoc beats Rosemary in a match they're having on the go-home uh, impact, so potentially more than one triple threat match on this show. But to me, the match that stands out is the five-way for the X-Division, uh, the, for Darren shot the X-Division title. Because any of these guys, except Rohit, uh, would be a great challenger for Josh Alexander. If you guys haven't checked out the, uh, the Iron Man match that Josh Alexander had with TJP that starts on that before the impact, then goes into him the start of impact. They put the full uncut version on YouTube for you guys to watch. Just go check it out because uh, I've been hearing rumours that Impact wants to start using matches like that to help elevate further the prestige of the X Division title uh, on par with the World title. And cause I think in the past it has been, but it's kind of it took a dip for a while. I think the comparison I heard was they wanted it to be kind of elevated, similar to how RVD elevated the TV title for ECW back in the day. And to me, I think the the person who's probably going to win this and maybe get the shot at Slammiversary is going to be Petey Williams because Williams has been kind of teaming on and off with Josh Alexander and he was in Alexander's corner for uh, the Ironman match with TJP. And there was a moment in the match where Alexander wanted to pile drive uh, TJP on the outside and uh, Petey Williams like stopped him and told him like you know that's that's going too far you've already got the advantage like because Alexander was up a fall to nothing and then Alexander nearly lost by a, lost a fall by count out because of Peter Williams distracting him accidentally so maybe that was so so in the seeds for uh, ascension maybe Alexander will turn on Peter Williams so which I'd be interested to see yeah no absolutely I've been on record about Josh Alexander you know Ethan Page going to AEW, he was meant to be the big, you know, breakout star. He's now in a sort of thrown together tag team with uh, Scorpio Sky, you know, losing exhibition matches to Sting. And Josh Alexander's having absolute classics winning it. You know, he's the one getting a singles push now. We were all like, it's going to happen to Josh Alexander. Well, Josh Alexander's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird how that's worked out. I think. Everybody assumed that about Paige because Paige was more well-known outside of this tag team with Alexander, uh, whereas Alexander was more well-known for being in the team with Paige. But I think he's shown himself like, almost immediately after Paige, like, when he went right into the X Division, he's shown that he's the breakout guy. And I wouldn't mind seeing him going on go on an RVDS run with that X Division title, taking on like all comers. Uh, but talking about like, matches before we move on, like, you know about like, people kind of slipping down card, the card? Like in, yeah, I feel bad for Rich Swan because what a come down that is for him because he went from losing the world title when we all knew he was going to to now he's probably going to put over W Morrissey because Morrissey's just on a Terry battered Willie Mac. He had this promo 
where he talks about how nobody in wrestling actually cares about each other. He brought up when he had his issues, when he had that seizure, and nobody like checked in on him. And he kept this really serious look down. He was like, everybody laughed at me. Who's laughing now? And then they had him focused on him. And then from off screen, uh, Rich ones, but just smacked him right in the face. And they just had this brawl. But I think Swan's just going to get battered by Morrissey. It's going to look good because Swan's, like, well, everybody compared to Morrissey is tiny, but Swan isn't the tallest guy. So he's going to just look, especially like Dolph Ziggler selling wise when Morrissey's just throwing him around. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so it looks like it'll be a good card, a good weekend of wrestling. You know, you've got on the Saturday, you've got Against All Odds for Impact, and then on the Sunday, you've got NXT TakeOver in your house. So look forward to both of them. Um, we'll, we'll jump over to Japan for a minute. You know, I know I didn't tell you where we're going on a trip, but hopefully you've packed. Um, we'll jump over to Japan in a minute because there has been through the Forbidden Door people from New Japan coming into Impact. And there's a new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Dominion, uh, Shingo Takagi, one of my favourites right now, if you're a regular listener to East Meets West. Uh, one of my favourites, one of Grant's as well, defeats Okada to win the vacant IWGP World Heavyweight Championship after Austria was forced to vacate that belt uh, after an injury. Uh, we talked a lot about that in the last episode. And immediately after the match, you know, beating Okada, it was interesting going into it because Okada's the golden boy kind of, of New Japan, but these two are one and one going into it, with the most recent one being Takagi over Okada in the New Japan Cup. But Okada got the uh, Okada can usually be called upon to hold his belt, but I'm so glad they went with Shingo because he's just been on a, a rise ever since he probably came into New Japan back in 2018. And they've already confirmed that his next challenger, we don't know when it's going to happen, but his first challenger is going to be Kota Ibushi. And it's going to be a hell of a match. And I'm hoping Shingo actually retains because he'd be the third IWGP World Heavyweight Champion since that new belt was unveiled. And he'd be the first one to actually get success. So, oh, actually, never mind. I'm talking pish because uh, Osprey got a successful first defense. Hopefully Shingo gets, is the first champion to get to two successful defenses. Because so far, you know, we've caught Ibushi losing after going on about wanting to unify the belts. Osprey gets a defence and then gets injured. So, you know, hopefully Shingo gets to two because if he doesn't, it's just gonna, it's just going to prove that belt is truly cursed. But it was a great main event, an all-round great card at Dominion, which me and Grant are going to go into detail about in our next episode of East Meets West, which should hopefully come out sometime next week. Yeah, I, I, I have no clue about New Japan. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm a, I'm a WWE guy. I'm a, I, I'm an EW casual viewer, and I'm an Impact guy when there's pay per views. But if anyone knows the Alan Partridge shrugging, um, <laughs> yes, that's sort of me right now. I, I, but but from what I hear, it's a big thing, and it will be good. People a lot more in the know than me will be talking about it on East Meets West. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about someone I do know about, and that's Alistair Black. Mm-hmm. Um, Alistair Black has apparently, according to PW Insider, been the focus of talks between people higher up backstage in WWE. They believe he should be brought back into the company. Um, there was plans made uh, in late May uh, when he attacked Big E. He was released two weeks later. Um, he's not wasted any time in getting bookings. He's already agreed to a P- 
appear at the big event run by Rack Attack Promotions. Uh, he'll be appearing 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, LaGuardia Air and the sorry, for fuck's sake, start that again. He hasn't wasted any time in getting his first post WWE booking. You know, he's going to be in uh, at the big event ran by Rack Attack Promotions, appearing in the LaGuardia Airport Marriott in East Elmhurst, New York, signing autographs from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, he'll be using the Tommy End name. And yeah, that is on November 13th. So there's still plenty of time for WWE to get him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was noted that the shock of the recent WWE releases started to wear off. There was a feeling that if everyone released on June 2nd, Black was cut too soon and more a victim of broken promises and the start-stop creative process more than anything he did on his own. Mm-hmm. And there has been a push to bring him back. So do you think Tommy End slash Alistair Black would come back or do you think WWE have shot themselves in the foot here? I think I think he'd be maybe open to it because you know there's this video of his Twitch stream out there where he was very open talking about his time to be had a few positive things to say about his time there. Uh, he said that you know, he said he got along well with Vince, even though he was like talking about how certain rumors by like people out there in dirt seats and everything like aren't always true, which it makes you wonder what to believe. Is you know he's saying this, and then there's reports all come out saying no, Vince didn't get Alistair Black and Buddy Murphy's wrestling style or whatever. Which could be true because you can still like somebody but not understand their style because Vince wasn't sure how he like he liked Black as a character but he wasn't sure how he worked his wrestling style to suit the character he wanted. He said that Vince kind of stopped him from winning the US title last year because he wanted to see it in front of a crowd, which seems weird given that Apollo won it in front of no crowd and other guys have won titles in front of the Thunderdome. So uh, you wonder how legit that was. He's already started doing interviews like with he was on Renee. Renee Paquette, Renee Young's uh, uh, podcast recently. So it's weird that he's already talking about his time to be when most people who get released wait till the end of the 90 days before starting talking openly. Maybe the fact he's talking so openly hints that something something not quite right about this release, then maybe that means he could come back because the rumours of Selena coming back. So if she comes back, I wouldn't uh, rule out him coming back. No, not at all. Um Something that you just sent me there that's just been put out there. Uh, Per Fightful Select, both AEW and New Japan held internal talks about bringing in the authors of Pain following their WWE releases last year, but both decided against doing so. Since then, Fightful was told by a promoter that the authors of Pain have retired. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a couple of injuries on their main roster run. Maybe that's led to them retiring. You know, it's a shame because... AOP, much like Sanity, are yet another one who were, they were in the first War Games match, they were so good in, uh, in NXT, but just on the main roster, it just didn't quite click. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame if that's true that they have retired, because I think they're both in their early 20s, I think one of them's at least running about the same age that I am. One of them, I think one of them's running about the same age that I am now, which is bizarre when you look at them. Uh, but maybe they're taking the this idea of the injuries, you know, very seriously don't want to risk further damage to themselves long term, think about their families and everything. It is a shame because, you know, they would have been like great for any promotion to try and pick them up like immediately after they got released and all that. So I'm not surprised that AEW and New Japan wanted to get them. because uh, I remember 
for ages thinking like what happened to the author's brain? Why are they one of the few people that haven't really popped up since getting released? Because I think that would be a real waste. But if they've chosen to retire, that's their decision. You know, you never say never in wrestling. Some people recently have said they retire. Like Kelly Ray was meant to have retired, but now she's popped back up in the NWA. So, you know, it's their decision. But you know, never say never. We could see them again at some point. No, wrestling retirements tend not to last all that long. Um, we talked about, you know, when we're talking about Raw, it, it's been a bit boring the past few weeks, um, certainly since WrestleMania. But um, Matt Men are reporting that the draft will be post SummerSlam, uh, the September 3rd episode of SmackDown, and the August 30th episode of Monday Night Raw will apparently be uh, that year's Superstar Shakeup slash draft, whatever they're calling it that year. Um, I think it's about time, you know. We, I think we we did have a draft uh, pre. Was it night of it was Hell in a Cell last year, wasn't it? Yes, I think yeah, it's so. Hell in a Cell last year. No, I, no, I think it was post Hell in a Cell because they did the breakup angle for Machine um, at Hell in a Cell and post it. They took they sent Tucker over to Raw. No, no, no. It's pre member because they done the. It was the talking smack before Hell in a Cell. Heavy machinery got split up. I think no. Did they not do? Was it not the they did it Friday, Sunday, uh, Monday, and they had Hell in a Cell in between? Because I know, I know they did break up in between. Because Sami Zayn was like the host of Talking Smack that night, and he was so delighted to tell them that they were breaking up. I honestly don't know anymore because there was a time where the draft was one of the most exciting things to me as a fan. No, I remember watching Cena show up on on Raw as the the WWE champion. And, and things like that happening. I remember enjoying the 2016 draft when I think I was when like of American Alpha and Finn Balor got drafted to the Ron Smackdown respectively. But the last couple of years really has dulled down my enthusiasm for yeah, it. Like, even, even when they did the like whole war room between USA and Fox, like I don't care about USA or what Fox thinks of Alistair Black or other people like that or Ricochet. I don't care what they think. Uh, what what also annoys me about the draft, I want them to go back to how it used to be in that if you're gonna announce where somebody's going, announce somebody's moving from Raw to SmackDown or SmackDown to Raw. Stop announcing that SmackDown is keeping certain people or Raw is keeping certain people. Because that makes a little difference to me. I want to see who's moving to what brand. Like I want to tune into the SmackDown episode, see if some people that were on Raw the previous Monday show up and then wonder who from SmackDown is gonna to go to Raw on Monday. And because I because like it's hard enough to keep up with the rosters at times. So even when you tell me so and so is staying on Raw, like, oh, were well, you already on Raw? I didn't know, because <laughs> what, what what roster you're on is meaning less and less nowadays. So I don't, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful to be proven wrong. I hope that they find some way to make it more interesting. But it's really lost its appeal in the last couple of years. Yeah, it has. I I would much rather they went back to the one night. It's it's like three, would you call it? It's like a three-hour Raw. Well, raw is three hours now anyways. anyways but like a three-hour edition of Raw. And, you know, you, you've got the the Raw roster on the screen. Like they, they go through it if SmackDown wins draft pick. And you have like the tag team match is one point And the Battle Royal, you get three points. And this women's match is champion versus champion. So you get two draft picks if you win it, you know. And then... You know, this whole Raw gets three, but SmackDown gets two. Bollocks. Like, Smackdown, uh, you, 
SmackDown has less of a roster, yet somehow manages to get more of its talent on TV. So, no, none of this Raw gets the SmackDown gets to. Yeah, I think it's maybe like, oh, because Raw is three hours, we need what that little, couple of extra talent, like, I mean, that extra talent that you don't use, because you're less likely to get used when you're on Raw than going on SmackDown. Because if I was in the draft right now and I was a member of Raw right now, like, not in KFU, I mean, literally, somebody who's going to who regularly appears on Raw. I'd be like, I really hope they choose to move me to SmackDown. I can do something over there. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it is a weird one, but um, we could see a couple of new faces in WWE before the draft. Eva Marie had a promo this week where she announced next week she'd be debuting, and there's rumours over who is going to be with her. And you mentioned the Mercedes Martinez match at Takeover. It's interesting to see what she'll do after this. The rumoured, uh, Eva Marie's rumoured to be in a non-wrestling role, a sort of a, a mouthpiece for someone. And the rumoured names are Viper slash Piper Niven and Mercedes Martinez. Uh, before I let you come in on this one, Scott, I'm just going to say straight away, I hope it's Mercedes Martinez. I don't know if it's because I've seen her in ICW and you know the ICW women's division booking is one thing, but I just... Like the I Viper doesn't appeal to me. It, it just she was a big deal, I think, in like 2014, 2015, when women weren't getting as many opportunities now. But I I don't think she's as big a deal now as as she was then. I don't think she's developed a character as much since then. I don't think being in NXT UK, she's not really done much, you know, you know, I know NXT UK did have that shutdown, you know, time during COVID, but not done much in the way of like, oh my God, you had to see this Piper Niven match. And I, I don't think that would change with Eva Marie in her corner. I, I could be dead wrong. She could come in and, you know, I don't want to watch, you know, bad segments or want people to come on to WWE TV and do it poorly. I'd like them to prove me wrong. I just I don't see it, and I think a Mercedes Martinez is a much better fit to have this sort of heavy. It'd be this sort of heavy to Eva Marie. Yeah, I think I'd much rather it be Mercedes because you know, it would make sense. You know, finishes up with NXT with a loss to Zayli to help further her story on the Sunday. Shows up on the Raw with Eva on the Monday. You know, like back in the day when you didn't announce the NXT debut, like someone just showed up and they. Yeah, that interaction. Oh, geez, look at so and so from NXT is now here. Because uh, I think a lot of people thought that Eva Marie was being brought up as a baby face with this whole thing. They sell her promos, want to inspire people, but the idea of her being brought in with a uh, heavy, I think, shows that I think we're all wrong and we've misunderstood what the promos might be. Like she, I think she's trying to imply that she's like trying to influence people, but she's clearly a heel. You know, that kind of heel that thinks they're doing good kind of thing, and so. It's better suited for her to be a heel, but it also makes more sense for Mercedes because she was already on Raw very briefly as part of Retribution. And back to NXT, they found something better for her to do and bring her back up. So it's clear that they seem to have, like, they really want to feature her. Like, But bringing somebody from NXT UK right to the main Raw, especially to the flagship show of Raw, unless it's a Pete Dunne or when he was part of NXT or Mustache Martin or a Walter. It's hard to see why WWE would want to bring a lot of the NXT UK people. Nothing against them, but they are on the one of the more least, one of the less important brands in NXT right now. 
that not a lot of the people who watch Raw probably watch. And so for Piper and Niven to show up on Raw, it might be the first time a lot of people have seen her. So I don't think it would get as much of a reaction as if, uh, if it wouldn't get as much reaction her showing up if, as opposed to Mercedes showing up. Because, you know, really Piper's thing in, in NXT UK, a lot of people joke that so-and-so, a lot of people's characters in NXT are where they're from. So, like, Kayla Ray comes in, like, I'm angry and I'm Scottish. And uh, like, I'm the Scottish one in the women's division. And then in comes Isla Dawn. I'm, I'm also a Scottish, but I'm spooky. And then in comes Piper Niven. I'm Scottish, but I'm the big one. So they don't have that much in terms of character. So it'd be too much elite for Piper to come to the main roster. I think she's been wrestling since like the late 2000s. And I think I can count on one hand the amount of good promos I've heard from her. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Also, I don't even know what the travel's like from the UK to the US. So, like, I don't know if they'd be capable, if they'd be able to actually bring her over for this. It is a weird one. Um, you, you don't know if it was maybe planned for Viper and maybe they can't bring her over, so that's why Mercedes Martinez's name is floating about. Viper could already be in you know, the US, currently isolating, getting ready for Raw. But just I, I, I don't feel a lot of people in NXT UK are are very well put forward, and that's, that is the fault of WWE. You know, there's a lot of interest in people from the independent scene, but there's like NXT itself went through this sort of stage a few years ago where it was like, why should I care about him? Because he's a former world champion. But but why? Why? Because he won a world title before. Yes, but why in this moment should I care about Roderick Strong, James Storm, you know, pre-Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly, you know, why should I care about these people? And thankfully NXT itself has got away from it, but NXT UK is sort of a other than Walter and maybe Mustache Mountain, there's no one really there that has defined characters because no one's really allowed to. So yeah, I'd maybe if she was in Raw she'd get that chance with Eva Marie, but I'm really not interested and maybe 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 it's just because I've only really seen her in in ICW and ICW hasn't got the best track record for booking women. But I'm I'm not the biggest fan. So we'll move on here and we've got two more stories left and we've got a sorry, we've got three more stories left. We've got a bizarre one here about Ted DiBiase. So Ted DiBiase has called for has called uh, Cody Rhodes a liar and accused him of uh, spreading false stories. So a few years ago at Starcast, AEW star Cody Rhodes. Uh, told the story of the worst match of his career. So if any of you don't know this match, this was the story of Wade Barrett, Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes against the original Sin Cara, Daniel Bryan and Ezekiel Jackson. Apparently Jackson was meant to get the hot tag and be the hero of the match. However, DiBiase didn't kick out from a Daniel Bryan dropkick four minutes into the match. The story Cody Rhodes told, he said, when it happened, I thought I should call an audible. I looked at Wade and I went to tell him, let's just jump them. But as I turned, he was already halfway up the ramp and furious. We went backstage completely embarrassed. It was Ted DiBiase's fault. But I'll never forget the interaction, uh, what happened next for the rest of my life. We come to a gorilla position. Vince McMahon standing with his headset off. I make eye contact with him. And right before he can say anything to me, Ted Jr. blows me off and with no fear looks at Vince and said, where's that referee? He was trying to fuck on me. 
And Rhodes said, because it was such an awkward moment, Vince just put his headset back on, sat down, and we never talked about it again. However, in a recent interview with WrestleZone, Ted DiBiase Jr. claims that Rhodes fabricated the story. He did kick out, however, the referee still counted three and made a mistake. He said, look, I'm just going to say this. That dude will say something and beat a dead horse with it, DiBiase said of Rhodes. I may have said he tried to fuck... Uh, I may have said he tried to fuck me, but I don't know where he got the he tried to fuck on me. Uh, but that dude knows how to blow something up. I think it's hilarious and it's probably a shot at me, but he'd do that all the time. He'd make something up that someone said and scream it non-stop in the locker room and then everyone would adopt it. So I was pissed because I did kick out. You can go back and watch it, but we had a meeting that day where they told us the referee's going to count you if you don't kick out. I did kick out. I don't remember his name, the referee. But anyway, I was hot about it. I was pissed. I said a lot of curse words when I came through there. But Cody can tell a story. He can fabricate one too. So, um, yeah, uh, Ted DiBiase Jr., who's recently uh, taken bookings again, he's back in the limelight and he's calling Cody Rhodes a bit of a liar. So, always fun to hear. Yeah. I mean, one thing I really... Well, there are a few... It's really sad when there's only a handful of things I can remember about Ted DiBiase Jr.'s career, and one of them is that he used to follow you on Twitter for a brief time. Oh, no, he still does. I don't follow him. He still follows me. (laughs) I remember the most random follow I've had wrestling-wise is that Just Incredible randomly started following me recently, and I've never followed him. I've never tweeted about Just Incredible. Uh, He still follows me, by the way. I've never interacted with him. I don't even know if I follow him back. (laughs) It, it, it's also kind of ironic that Ted V Jr. recently had run-ins with the law in terms of like t- for tax reasons, which is ironic given that his father used to team with a man called IRS. So <laughs> it shows that this man may not be the smartest human being in the world. So I don't know what to say about this. Clearly the match was match was shit anyway. And if Ezekiel Jackson actually did get the hot tag, it probably wouldn't have been much better. So I don't know what benefit Corey would have had to make the story up. Like fabricated story other than to make it funnier than it was, but I don't think it's really worth getting that much getting that bent out of shape about. Yeah, um, I don't think anyone would ever remember the match anyway. Had Cody Rhodes not brung it up, and even when Cody Rhodes brung it up, it's not a match that sticks in my mind daily. Like, oh god, remember when Ted DiBiase didn't kick out of that drop kick? Like, like if anything, him bringing it back up is the only reason I remember it. <laughs> he- him bringing it back up is the only reason he's getting a mention on this podcast. Otherwise, we wouldn't have probably would never have talked about him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, technically, we, well, technically, you already did talk about him in the million dollar title segment. Yeah, yeah, that you know, he, he did show some respect. Him and Virgil, former million dollar champions, elite company. Ah, yeah. Did Mister All Elite say he was a million dollar champion? I don't think so. No, because he won actual titles. <laughs> <laughs> And defended them Uh, regularly. So, from one former WWE star to another, Braun Strowman is reportedly charging five-figure booking fees uh, for post-WWE appearances on the indies. Indie promoters who have reached out, according to PW Insider, uh, have said that he is asking for figures currently in the five-figure price range. Word is that Strowman is pretty set financially and doesn't need to immediately start booking indie appearances. However, it was said that if a promoter comes in and meets the right price, Strowman would be interested. 
I mean, this is a guy who was on every WrestleMania, including pre-shows, WrestleMania 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37 and 38. Sorry, 37. 37 was this year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he was on six WrestleManias in a row. You know, he was in a feud with the boss's son. He was in a universal title picture. He won the Battle Royal. He won the tag titles. He had a feud with The Rock. So, you know, you've got to figure, his WrestleMania bonuses alone have set him up. So I don't think, yeah, I don't... Th- this is the sort of thing that usually gets uh, banded around when people who weren't wrestlers before WWE start taking post-WWE bookings. Um that maybe they're, you know, out of touch or maybe they shouldn't be asking for these fees. But I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Braun Strowman doesn't feel that he needs to wrestle because he's pretty much set up and he can pick and choose his bookings for the right fee. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, do you? No, not really. Because I think he knows what his value is given how high profile he was. And like you said, maybe he's just doing this because he thinks, like, I don't need to do these ones, but if someone actually will pay me this money that I've, uh, I said that I'll take, then I'll do them. But like he doesn't really need to ever wrestle again. I think the rumor is that he wasn't going to wrestle ever again. I think he's better suited kind of like working, like just trying to get more acting roles. It's like the big guy and like action films or something like that. Because I think he could make that. I think there'd be a spot for him in the acting world. Like he was in that Holmes and Watson film. I've heard his. I've heard the film itself is terrible, but. You know, I think he's decent in a small role he has where he has a fight scene with John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, which is weird. You know, these Sherlock Holmes films, they only get the best wrestlers in because I believe the Robert Downey Jr. one has a fight scene between Robert Downey Jr. and Kirkin in it, randomly. So, you know, if you want to just do start, like, leaving wrestling explore another opportunity, I think he'd be fine because, like, the rumours were that he wanted to retire because he didn't see himself wrestling anywhere other than WWE and Personally, I don't actually see him wrestling anywhere else either. I wouldn't, because he feels like such a WWE guy. Maybe if he went to Japan, because they love their big guys over there. I mean, Joe Dorn, who I mentioned, who you mentioned in the Against All Odds, when he's fighting Kojima because they wrestled a few times in all Japan, because Joe Dorn was very successful over there, because again, they love their big bastards who can just batter people over in Japan. So it's basically the whole wrestling style over there. So, with the exception of that, I don't see Braun doing much in the world of wrestling after this. No, no, Diane, it is quite a shame because, you know, I, I liked Braun. I, I, I saw a tweet about uh, Braun that said, imagine having the worst wrestler on your brand uh, in a stable, and then you take the stable away from him and tell him, sink or swim. And not only does he swim, he swims faster and better than anyone on the roster. He gets over. He gets better, and then you you still don't give him the world title run. And then when you do give him the world title run, you release him a year later. Really doesn't make sense to me. And that that is a, a perfect you know when we saw Braun Strowman was on his own uh, in twenty sixteen, we thought yeah he'll beat up jobbers for a few weeks, you know, and then that'll be that. And then you know less than a year later, you know he's in world title feuds with Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns and you know he's beating people like Roman Reigns and you know I, I think he should have been the guy to end um end Brock Lesnar's feud. I think he was uh, sorry title run. I think he was a, a victim of that sort of 
Brock Lesnar reign of doom, Roman has to be the one to take it off him sort of thing. I think if he had been on SmackDown uh, when the WWE title was, you know, the, the title that was a bit more regularly defended, I think he would have won the title then, no problem. But I think it was just wrong place, wrong time sort of thing. Yeah, like he and Joe were the two biggest victims of that, and yeah, like everybody was so like, like why is he kind of single push? Even though he, he looked, he had a good he's he debuted and he looking his first like squash match. People still weren't sold on him until around about the start of twenty seventeen, and people suddenly were like, Jesus, Bond's actually getting good here. Uh, and also there was that headline doing the rounds with uh, that said that WWE felt that Braun was two years past his peak. Uh, which it may have played into why they didn't think he was worth the money that he'd resigned. Like, I think two years ago was when he signed that contract that he was on that was worth a lot of money. And like, so it took you two years after you signed that contract to realize he was past his peak. I don't even think he was because like a year into those two years him being past his peak, then so then you gave him the world title a year past his peak, which makes you look bad. And so you're, and also means that you think that his peak was 2019. When the biggest thing he was doing was throwing out some SNL guys of a battle royal. I know it's. He was always there and thereabouts, and the Royal Rumbles and the Money in the Banks, and he, you know, he won the Money in the Bank in twenty eighteen, and you know when he did eventually get his, you know, world title run, it was a bit okay. Um, where do we go from here? And he became the guy who didn't really need a title, even though he, he was very well accomplished. He didn't seem like he was the guy that needed a title because. When he got a title, did it either give him, give him it for long enough or have him have a good ring? Like, there's an image of him going around with the Universal Tag and Intercontinental titles, as well as like below him, like there's the Money in the Bank briefcase, that Saudi title, and the Andre uh, Trophy, like showing all these accomplishments. Like that's actually a lot more dedicated. He's actually a lot more decorated in WWE than you'd expect, but you'd easily forget any of those things ever happened. Yeah, because he, he won the. I always think it's weird see when someone wins the Intercontinental title round about the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. I always find that a really a really weird time because they're not going to defend the title; they're going to end up in the Royal Rumble, and then it's the build up to WrestleMania, and he ends up losing that title and like his first defense to Sami Zayn uh, in that three on one match, and then he had. The Saudi title, which he held for like a week. The Money in the Bank, which was, you know, used as a prop. And then just, he lost it straight away uh, when he, he he drew the Hell in a Cell match with Roman because Brock Lesnar came in and killed everyone. His tag title runs, you know, the Nicholas one and the Seth Rollins one were just sort of... Oh, fuck, I forgot he won it twice. I just, I just remember yeah. the Nicholas one now. Yeah, that and then the Universal title, you know... It was basically just okay. Bronze got it. How long do we wait till we give it to Bray Wyatt? Like, like his title run had a sell by date on it, and yeah, he was just he was so. This is just turned into fantasy booking about Braun Strowman. Um, you know, it, I think he was a he was failed by creative time and time again, and he came back time and time again. And if he's two years past the sell-by date, then I'm sorry, it's WWE's fault for leaving him out in the sun for far too long. Because, um, yeah, I I honestly think he, he deserves so much better. And I fully agree that he should charge whatever he wants for his independent bookings. 
Yeah, it's weird you say, oh, he's past his peak, but it was when he was past his peak that we gave him the title. Like, yeah, but that was your fault because you had multiple opportunities in 2017 and 2018 to pull the trigger with him, which is a weird WWE thing. And that, like, especially like in times where they've had Seth Rollins mock people for like not allowing up to potential, or when a heel mocks a face for not allowing up to potential, like, so like WWE uses their characters to blame people for not taking advantage of opportunities that WWE didn't give them. Braun is a prime example of that. Like, oh, he didn't live up to his potential. He's past his peak. Well, if you give him the title when he was at his peak, then he wouldn't be past his peak. He'd still be with you and making you a lot of money. Yeah, it is, it is weird. But um, but our final story this week, um, former another former WWE champion, former WWE Cruiserweight champion, Leo Rush, has announced he's going to have to retire a little more than a week after appearing at AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view, Leo Rush took to Twitter to say, thanks to New Japan, so he said, I'm retiring from pro wrestling, it's been a crazy ride, but it's time to get off and do what truly makes me happy. Thank you, AEW and New Japan for everything. Um, he elaborated on his reasons on his Instagram page, he said, he suffered an injury which he initially thought not to be serious only for it to start affecting his day-to-day life. Uh, Rumours being that it's an ACL injury. Um, a shame, because he is very young, he is very talented. Um, and it is a shame to see a wrestling career end so so abruptly, especially since he's, you know, you, you'll know more than I, you know, you've been covering the best of the Super Juniors for uh, New Japan. Did he not compete in that? And yeah, oh, He was in the Super J Cup. Uh, he lost in the first round to the eventual winner El Fantasmo and he's appearing on their US show New Japan Strong uh, he was also in a tournament for them I think he lost in the semi the New Japan Cup USA which crowned the first ever strong champion uh, he said he's going to fulfil some contractual obligations for New Japan first but if it is an AC injury I don't know how he can wrestle with that injury and I'm wondering if maybe the matches that are about to come out for New Japan Strong with him in them were already pre-taped, and this is his way of explaining why he's appearing on these shows after he announced his retirement. But it is a shame because, you know, I don't know if he still was, but he was an MLW middleweight champion and the AAA cruiserweight champion at the same time. He was playing multiple different companies. There was talk of him making other appearances for AEW. He was talking about appearing almost, almost, he was close to signing a contract with New Japan. He was, I think he's also working with WWE doing the mocap for 2K22. So he had a lot in front of him. And for his, it's never a good time for someone's career to suddenly end as young as he is. But right now, when he seemingly had all these opportunities in front of him, it makes it even sadder. I've heard that he's been doing stuff outside. I think he's been doing like some stuff music-wise. He's been like doing producing his own music. So like hopefully that's an avenue that he can pursue that and that like brings him all success and that makes him happy. But maybe he can appear as a manager at some point for one of these companies he's been working for, because I still fondly remember the days of him being Lastly's hype man. Yeah, I thought it was great at that. He was great in-ring. Um, one of the big stars of the early days of uh, NXT on USA, you know, he won the one of the first shows, the first live NXTs. He defeated Drew Gulak for the Cruiserweight title. He had a good feud with uh, Angel Garza. He had a couple of good feuds with like the two or five new bloods against the originals. Um you mentioned MLW, Court Boy uh, Court Bauer, sorry. 
uh, did release a statement just saying Leo's a brilliant a- athlete who made a difficult decision, but one that I admire for his commitment of putting family first. I, along with everyone at Major League Wrestling, wish Leo continued success in the next chapter of his life and thank him for sharing his extraordinary talent with the world. So you mentioned his music there. It, it is nice that he's got backup and, you know, if a lot of these matches are pre-taped, at least they'll have money coming in for the wrestling. And I don't think the motion capture will be too strenuous as compared to like an actual match where he'll need to take bumps. So hopefully he still has that sort of income and yeah, he's still got enough to provide for his family. So that's, and you mentioned him being a manager. Hopefully that's an avenue he can take as well. Yeah. Uh, when a career ends so, so sudden, but all I would say was, you know, Daniel Bryan had to retire because of neck injuries. He took some time away and then was able to come back in a few years. So hopefully, hopefully that is the case for Leo Rush. Yeah, because like, yeah, as a manager or if he wants to maybe give commentary a go, that's always open for him. Because like I said, the worst talk that he was going to maybe appear once or twice for AEW or more of a handshake deal rather than actually signing for them. Because Tony Khan explained the reason for bringing him in as part of the, as being the Joker was that. Like, ages ago, he wanted uh, to sign Leo Rush, but I think Rush was more interested in pursuing stuff with MLW in Japan. But, you know, like I said, there's always these avenues open for him, and as I guess it's still uh, sad to see somebody's career end in this fashion. As you mentioned, we wish Leo Rush all the best uh, in his retirement, and hopefully, hopefully one day he can make a return to pro wrestling, either in-ring or as a manager. But that is going to do it for this week's episode of Central, this absolutely packed episode of two pay-per-view previews and a massive outside WWE news. Um, if you want to hear more from us here at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, more news, more reviews, more interviews, more previews, you find us at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify and all good Android podcasting sites. And if you want to get involved in the conversation at Suplex Retweet, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and our Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat community page. Over 500 members there, and you can get involved in the conversation as well. Uh, our feature show this past week, you were on it, Scott, as well, looked at the life and career of all three faces of Mick Foley, his run in WCW, ECW, WWE, TNA, it's all there. Mm-hmm. I was looking for a bit more there, a bit of a preview there, Scott, yeah. but never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we get to bring, yeah, we get to talk about my favourite period of Mick Foley's career, his time in, in TNA and his weird cameo in the episode of 30 Rock. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, so you won't, you won't get to... Ross Jones about not hearing less than me. I'm going to be on East Meets West next week but a feature, on the feature show I'm on this and I think I'm on not next week's feature but maybe the one after that uh, about King of Rain 96 whenever that comes out I'm going to be on that. So you won't hear less than me but Ross if I could for a second talk about something uh, I don't. Use, we don't usually do this on East Eclipse of Victory, all that stuff we've got going on outside, but this is a, a good cause I'm part of. Uh, on Saturday uh, this week, I'm going to be part of a 12-hour Twitch stream from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. I'm not going to be on all of it. I'm going to be on twice uh, for the Hallway Grats, Hallway Wrestling Podcast. Is raising is trying to raise a amount of money for a mental health charity in Ireland called Jigsaw. Uh, I know during COVID and lockdown a lot of people had struggles with their mental health so if you guys are around on Saturday looking for something to do check out the stream and please feel free to donate if you're so inclined because I do believe it's a good cause I'm going to be on the first hour of it uh, with host Rian 
uh, reviewing They Live and the Irish Kung Fu movie Fatal Deviation. And then I'm going to be back on at like, four to five in a debate special where I'm going to have to do some sort of punishment chosen by my opponent if I lose, which I don't know about yet. Well, there you go. Well, that is a, a very good cause we don't usually mention. But if you follow at Scott McLeod 1996 or at SP Rambling, which is Scott's other podcast, Scott and Paul's Rambling podcast, you'll find more details of the charity and the live stream there. And you can donate, in which you should, because it's a very good cause. COVID has not been great for a lot of people's mental health, and it's good to give it a wee bit back. So, Good week, cause there, and a nice wee thing to end the show on there. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of In Your House, a review of Against All Odds, and a preview of Hell in a Cell, and, of course, all the review of the week's weekly TV shows, such as AEW, WWE, and much, much more. Uh, we'll be back next week, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. <laughs>